Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 204 of The Informed Catholic. Episode 204 of The Informed Catholic. So before we begin, please, I'd like to invite you to subscribe and share to my podcast. If you like what I do and you think I'm doing a, a great job, uh, please, it would be a great help. Uh, it would at least give me encouragement to continue because uh, at least I can see people are enjoying it and I'm doing the best I can to try to help, uh, well, hopefully change the culture, but also uh, help encourage people by giving them information. This podcast is, yes, it's called The Informed Catholic. Uh, I do stuff about the faith. I do things about... Um, what's going on with the church, um, scandals, um, you know, unfortunately those are the things that I don't like. I don't, I hate those, but I feel they're important. And also, um, in, f encouragement of faith, um, how to, uh, wither the storm, uh, from scandal to, uh, bad teaching. Um, but you know, also about politics, um, but not for the sake of politics. Um, politics uh, with a Catholic Christian conscience, with uh, a core belief in the Christian faith. Christ always in the center. Christ should be in the center of everything. Um, in faith, in the arts, in politics, in everyday actions, um, in everything. Uh, because Christ said, go out, baptize, teach, and preach all the, all the nations, all the nations uh, to, um, you know, to, to, to be in him, to be Christ-like, to transform the world. It's the reason why the incarnation happened. It's the reason why we're about to, you know, we are celebrating Advent and um, we're going to do that. So for this episode, we're going to move away from the articles. And I'm going to, um, from now on, uh, take portions from um, several books uh, on the meditation on the, uh, you know, for, for Advent, on the coming of Christ, on the meaning of it. So let's begin with our Advent prayer, our opening prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> be comforted, be comforted, my people. Your salvation comes quickly. Why with grief are you consumed? For sorrow has stricken you. I will save you, fear not, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. Drop dew, you heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain the just one. O oh God, who gladdens us by the annual expectation of our redemption, grant that we, who now receive with joy your only begotten Son, our Redeemer, may behold him without fear when he comes as our judge, even the same Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns forever and ever with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So I'm going to read now Friday's um, uh, readings, scripture readings for Advent, for, for the liturgy. Okay, the readings. Let's start with the entrance antiphon. Behold, the Lord will come, descending with splendor to visit his people with peace, and he will bestow on them eternal life. Stir up your power, we pray, O Lord, and come that with you to protect us we may find rescue from the pressing danger of sins and with you to set us free. We may be found worthy of salvation who live and reign with God the Father in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right. The first reading is from the... Uh, book of the prophet Isaiah. It's from chapter 29, 17, 24. Thus says the Lord, 
Thus says the Lord God, But a very little while, and Lebanon shall be changed into an orchard, and the orchard shall be regarded as a forest. On that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book. On that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The lowly will ever find joy in the Lord, and the poor rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. For the tyrant, the tyrant will be no more, and the arrogant will have gone. All who are alert to do evil will be cut off. Those whose mere word condemn a man, who ensnare his defender at the gate, and leave the just man with an empty claim. Therefore, thus says the Lord, God, the Lord God of the house of Jacob, who redeemed Abraham. Now Jacob shall have nothing to be ashamed of, nor shall his face grow pale when his children see the work of my hands in his midst. They shall keep my name holy. They shall reverence the Holy One of Jacob and be in awe of the God of Israel. Those who err in spirit shall acquire understanding and those who find fault shall receive instruction. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now the next one will be this response psalm. The responsorial is going to be the Lord is my light and my salvation. And this is from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is my life's refuge. Of whom should I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. One thing I ask of the Lord, this I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may gaze on the loveliness of the Lord and contemplate his temple. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I believe that I shall see the bounty of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord with courage. Be stout-hearted and wait for the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Next is the, uh, the gospel according to Matthew, the Alleluia Antiphon. Alleluia, alleluia. Behold, our Lord shall come with power. He will enlighten the eyes of his servants. Alleluia, alleluia. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. It's from chapter 9, verse 27 to 31. As Jesus passed by, two blind men followed him, crying out, Son of David, have pity on us. When he entered the house of the uh, the, the house, the blind men ap approached him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I can do this? Oh yes, Lord, they said to him. Then he touched their eyes and said, Let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. Jesus warned them sternly. See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread word of him throughout all the land. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. All right. So <clears throat> we're at the end of the first week now of, um, of Advent. And... Um, we went through uh, several articles so far this week about what the meaning of Advent is. And I think that's very important because um, what's happening now um, within our culture, and I, and I, and I want to say this first before we begin, I begin to read this um, from the book, uh, The Life of Christ by Fulton Sheen, is this, is that Dr. Steve Turley is saying is that we... I, we're going through a, a different stage now. Uh, I think we've exhausted ourselves with commercialism. 
Um, this is my my take on that. And um, we've we're now noticing how fragile our world is. The ones who are going to notice how fragile things are, I think, are going to be people who are one have a very strong, uh, very strong inclination towards religious values and traditions. People who, if you're someone um, <clears throat> who um, cares about tradition, uh, prayer. Religion, religion plays a big role in your life. Prayer, God, God is a big, big important um, thing in your life, and that's and I think that's that's something I think that's that's important. But also, you're not just uh, a Bible only person. I mean, I'm not putting the Bible down. Please don't think that I'm not saying that. But you, you're someone who who wants to dive deep in the tradition of the Bible. You want to dive deep into the history of the Bible. You want to get to know God's word more. You want to know the root of God's word. You want to go into the past and you don't live in the past. You're not someone who has a, a fantasy of going back to the past. I'm not saying that either. I'm saying is you want to build a strong foundation. You want to you want to break, you know, build a strong foundation. You're also concerned about not just your future, but obviously your children's future. You want them to have a bedrock to rest upon, to 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 basically stand upon, to wither the storms that will come even after you're gone, so that they can pass pass their the strength to another generation, okay? Within a few months, within a few weeks, the, our whole world changed once this pandemic came in, all right? It changed, it, it, it didn't just happen here, it happened around the world. And, and government leaders, people in power, took everything away. And then they let the riots come. They let the, the a bunch of, Political anarchists and and uh, you know and people who try to who try to hijack our, uh, the country, uh, they took it. They you know they started pulling down statues, burning institutions, attacking churches. I just heard something about a church in Brooklyn that was set on fire. I don't know which church is this. I want to know about it. And you you know everything. Antifa, Black Lives Matter, rioting and looting, looting. Um, People losing their jobs. I just found out uh, uh, some people uh, in the institution I work in, just their department closed. They were let go. And they're not even union. So, you know, and then I heard uh, another department, a lot of people uh, were let go. I mean, it's, and those guys weren't even union. I, I, well, I think they were, but they may, hopefully their company will find them a job uh, position uh, again, they were cooks, majority of them, people who worked in the restaurant. But the point is, you see how everything changed. So the question is, how do you survive it? Well, faith is a very important part of it. And people who have a strong faith also, um, you want to keep, you know, be aware of what's going on around you. You, you know, you can't just be a Bible believing person and stick your head in the ground and think this is that's the world. I mean, there's some Christians who think we're not supposed to be involved in the world. Wrong. It says go out into all the world. Baptize, teach and preach. It means to convert the culture. OK, it means to convert the culture. It means to to and Jesus said you are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Light of the world, salt, you know, of the earth. That means you're supposed to be a guide for the world, an example. He said, you are a city on a hilltop. He said, nobody puts a, a, a candle or lamp underneath a basket. You put it on the table and you let the light shine. So let your light shine. 
so that men can give praise to your heavenly father. Salt of the earth means you season it. Salt seasons food. You season the world. You season the world. You help to bring an example. It doesn't matter. He's not talking about your college education level. He's not talking about what kind of degree you have. He's not talking about how many engineering degrees or political science degrees or any of that stuff. He's saying you have to be involved. All right? If 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 he gave the parable of the Good Samaritan, right, who several men of his country, of his of, of his own even um, office passed him by and didn't want to get involved. His own countrymen didn't want to get involved. And then a foreigner comes along and gets involved. The, the person is Jesus Christ. He's also us. So <clears throat> now notice what he did. He didn't hit the guy over the head, the, the, the Israelite who got attacked and robbed. He didn't hit, over, hit him over the head with a, with a uh, Bible verses. He attended the guy's physical need first, his body. And then he took him to an inn and paid the innkeeper to watch over him. And if I come back and you need more money, I will pay you. The point is by helping him, by helping him, he opened his eyes and made him see that God's mercy extends beyond uh, uh, his own countrymen. And also so we can help other people. And by that, we can show the world this, using the line, I guess, from the Mandalorian, this is the way. The way of Christ is the way. And originally Christianity was called the way. So I, you can say, Jesus uh, trademarked that term first. <laughs> but the point is, that's the point, is that we are supposed to change the world. And we can save our culture, save America, and save the republic by beginning a whole new culture. We've let the secularists take over. And they've turned, they've inverted everything. They've inverted sexuality. They've inverted um, race, ethnicity, and culture. They've turned everything inside out and made it dirty, made it vile and confused. All right. They're, they're trying, you know, they, they think they can create a whole new world without morality. That's what Karl Marx thought. One of the things I noticed in that book called The Devil and Karl Marx by Paul canker you should check it out just look up the devil and Karl Marx was that Karl Marx uh, did not care about morality uh, ethics or or um, <laughs> anything holy and sacred for that matter he had no need for that and he was not a moral man so these people don't care about morality as well all right, so let's look into um, the opening of Fulton Sheen's uh, book here. Okay, let's start with the preface to um, The Life of Christ by Fulton J. Sheen. Satan may appear in many disguises like Christ, and at the end of the world will appear as a benefactor and philanthropist. Very interesting. But Satan never has had and never will appear with scars. Only heaven's love can show the marks of love's greatest gift in a night forever past. Actually, there are only two philosophies of life. One is first the feast, then uh, the headache. The other is first the fast, then the feast. Deferred joys purchased by sacrifices are always sweetest and most enduring. The ancients taught that any prosperity or success enjoyed without suffering on the part of someone's excited who excited the displeasure of the gods. Lorosetius tells of an Egyptian king who relinquished all relations with his friends, with his friend Polycrates, the tyrant of Samos, because his prosperity had no flaws in it something of bitterness which springs up 
in the midst of the fountain of sweetness. Christianity, unlike any other religion in the world, began with catastrophe and defeat. Sunshine religions and psychological inspirations collapse in calamity and wither in adversity. But the life of the founder of Christianity, having begun with the cross, ends with the empty tomb and victory. The life of Christ differs from all other lives in many respects, three of which may be mentioned. Number one, the cross was at the end of his life in time, but at the beginning of it in intent and purpose of his coming. Hence, his, his biographers, who were martyred in witness to the truth, they wrote, devoted and devoted one-third of the first three Gospels and one-fourth of the fourth Gospel to the events of his passion and resurrection. Two, as man did not come wholly out of nature, for man with his mind has a mysterious X which is not contained in his chemical and biological uh, antecedents. So Christ did not come wholly out of humanity. Three, his legacy was not an ethic or a collection of moral precepts, nor was an awakening to social sin, because men would not hear a personal sin. It was a confrontation of human guilt with the forgiving love of God, which cost God something. Hating sin, loving the sinner, condemning communism, loving the communists, despising heresy and loving the heretics, receiving the error back into the treasury of his heart, but never the error into the treasury of his wisdom. Forgiving sinners whom, so, whom society already condemned, but intolerant of those who sinned and were not found out. He reserved his most scathing outbursts for those who were sinners and denied sin, who were guilty and said they only had a complex. Then it was that he who wept in silence in the presence of human sorrow and an open grave gave way to unrestrained outbursts of grief as he contemplated the doom and downfall of those who have moral cancer and refuse to use the remedy he purchased at a great price than the blood of lambs and bullocks. Modern, the modern world which denies personal guilt and admits only social crimes, which has no place for personal repentance, but only public reforms, his divorce, uh, has divorced Christ from his cross, the bridegroom and the bride have been pulled apart. What God has joined together, men have torn asunder. As a result, to the left, it's the cross. To the right is Christ. Each has awaited new partners who will, um, who has, who will pick them up in a kind of second and adulterous union. Communism comes along with pick up with, with, with and, and pick up the meaningless cross. Western post-Christian civilization chooses the unscarred Christ. Communism has chosen the cross in the sense that it has brought back to an egotistical uh, world a sense of discipline, self-abnation and surrender, hard work, study and dedication to, uh, to uh, supra the individual goals. But the cross without Christ is sacrifice without love. Hence, communism has produced a society that is authoritarian, cruel, oppressive, uh, oppressive of human freedom, filled with concentration camps, firing squads, and brainwashings. Now, the, West, the Western post-Christian civilization has picked up the cross without his cross, okay? but a Christ without a sacrifice that reconciles the world to God in a cheap, feminized, colorless, interrent preacher, a terrent preacher who deserves to be popular for his great sermons on the Mount, but also merits unpopularity for what he said about his divinity. On the one hand, 
and divorce, judgment, and hell any other. This sentimental Christ is patched together without a, with, with a thousand com commonplace sustains, uh, sustained sometimes by academic etymologists who cannot see the word for the latter or distort it beyond, be, beyond personal recognition by a dogmatic principle that anything which is divine must necessarily be a myth. Without his cross, he became nothing more than a sultry precursor of democracy or a humanitarian who taught brotherhood without tears. The problem now is, will the cross which communism holds in its hands find Christ before the sentimental Christ of the Western world find the cross? It is our belief that Russia will find the Christ before Western world unites Christ with his redemptive cross. Okay, so um, that was interesting. That was very, very interesting. Um, it's interesting how in this opening, he mentions that Satan may appear in many disguises like Christ and at the end of the world will appear as a benefactor and philanthropist. But Satan has never and never uh, never and has never will and will never appear with scars only heaven's love can show the marks of love's greatest gift and then he mentions how communists choose they separate both communism which is a religion without god separates takes the cross but leaves out the Christ. They want social justice. They want, um, well, before in the past, the old communism was more of an institution. Uh, Soviet Union, now we only have China. Uh, but I think uh, China, Chinese Communist Party, but what we have now, I mean, what used to be was the Soviet Union, a more, uh, it was sort of like the church at one time, the, the, um, the utopia, the example of, 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 of what a communism with the world should look like. But now we don't have that. You notice in the end that he mentions how will Russia find, will find, uh, will, will take the cross and, and put it, give it back to Christ before the West does. And it's interesting how he points out that the Western Christ is effeminized basically soft preacher who preaches brotherhood, but without tears. And in a sense, uh, and then also how notice when, cause he wrote this, all this stuff was like years, years ago where we have all these scholars now who, uh, who, who accept all the words of Jesus, but reject the divinity. You know, it's, and it's funny, Taylor Marshall the other day pointed out that, you know, it's it's okay to say that the Gospels were written, weren't written by the apostles uh, and that uh, Moses didn't exist or anything like that. And it's funny, recently someone who a Jesuit said, uh, when they were talking about divorce and remarriage, some Je famous Jesuit, I don't know who it was, said, well, how does anyone know what Jesus really said? Did anyone have a tape recorder? So the West likes to choose scholarship and doubt divinity. Now the question is, did Russia find Christ and, and gave him back to the cross? Because the Christ with the cross is a divine Christ. It's a manly Christ. In the West, we have an effeminized Christ. And it's ironic that he says that because look what's happening in the Catholic Church. Look what's happening with many of the preachers. There's a, a plague of homosexuality in the Catholic Church. And this is unbelievable. Um, you know, in the sense that he said that and look what's happening now. Fulton Sheen's been gone since 1979. This, this book, The Life of Christ, he wrote this. I mean, many of the stuff is stuff that he preached and said on, on the show, life is worth living. He repeated it over and over again. Everything he says about communism is true. Now, the Soviet Union is gone. So what do we have? We have now uh, sort of an ideology, but without a church. And now you, know, you have all these 
uh, Antifa, you have all these, these Marxists going around. Now the question is, what kind of world do they want to give us? And that's very interesting. Now let's go to the um, chapter one. All right, we're going to start reading chapter one of the life of Christ by the late Archbishop Venerable Fulton J. Sheen. Chapter one is titled, The Only Person Ever Pre-Announced. Okay, history is full of men who have claimed that they came from God or that they were gods or that they bore messages from God. Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, Christ, Lao Tse, and thousands of others right down to the person who founded a new religion this very day. Each of them has a right to be heard and considered, but as a yardstick external to and outside of whatever is to be measured is needed, so there must be some preeminent test available to all men, all civilizations and all ages by which they can decide whether any one of these claimates or all of them are justified in their claims. These tests are of two kinds, reason and history. One reason, because everyone has it, even those without faith. History, because everyone lives in it and should know something about it. Reason dictates that if any one of these men actually came from God, the least thing that God could do to support his claims would be to pre-announce his coming. An automobile manufacturer tells their customers when to expect a new model. If God sent anyone from himself or if he came himself, with a vitally important message for all men, it would seem reasonable that he would first let men know when his messenger was coming, where he would be born, where he would live, the doctrine he would teach, the enemies he would make, the program he would adopt for the future, and the manner of his death. By, by the extent to which the messenger conformed with these announcements, one would judge the validity of his claims. Reason further assures us that God did not do this, then, that, that if God did not do this, then there would be nothing to prevent any imposter from appearing in history and saying, I come from God, or an angel appeared to me in the, des in the desert and gave me this message. In such cases, there would be no objective historical way of testing the messenger. We would have only his word for it, and of course, he would be wrong. If a visitor came from a foreign country to Washington and said he was a diplomat, the government would ask him for his passport and other docu documents testing, testifying that he represented a certain government. His papers would have to uh, annotate his coming. If such proofs of identity arise from a delegates of other countries, reason certainly ought to do so with the messenger who would claim to have come from God. To each claimant, uh, to, e to each claimant, reason says, "What record was there before you were born that you were coming?" With this test, one can evaluate the claimants, and at and at this preliminary stage. Christ is no greater than the others. Socrates had no one to foretell his birth, Buddha no one to pronounce him and his message, or to tell the day when he would sit under the tree. Confucius did not have this, the name of his mother and his birthplace recorded, nor were, nor were they given to men centuries before he arrived, so that when he did come, men would know he was a messenger from God. But with Christ, it was different. Because of the Old Testament prophecies, his coming was not unexpected. There were no predictions about Buddha. 
Confucius or Lao Tse, Muhammad or anyone else, but there were predictions about Christ. Others just came and said, here I am, believe me. They were therefore only men among men and not the divine in the human. Christ alone stepped out of that line saying, search the writings of the Jewish people and the related history of the Babylonians, Persians and Greeks and Romans. For the moment, pagan writings and even the Old Testament may be regarded only as historical documents, not as inspired works. It is true that the prophecies of the Old Testament can be best understood in the light of their fulfillment. The language of prophecy does not have the exactness of mathematics. Yet if one searches out the various messianic currents in the Old Testament and compare the resulting picture with the life and work of Christ, can one doubt that the ancient predictions point to Jesus and the kingdom which he established? God's promise to the, to the patriarchs that through them all the nations of the earth would be blessed. The predictions of the tribe of Judah would be supreme among um, other Hebrew tribes until the coming of him whom all nations would obey. The strange yet undeniable facts that in the Bible of the Alexandrian Jews, the Subduagent, one finds clearly predicted the virgin birth of the Messiah. The prophecies of Isaiah 50, 53 about the patient servant, the servant of the Lord who will lay down his life as a guilt offering for his people's offenses. The perspectives of the glorious everlasting kingdom of the house of David in whom but Christ have, um, have these prophecies founded their fulfillment. From the historical point of view alone, here is, here is uniqueness which sets Christ apart from all the other founders of the world, of the world religions. And once the fulfillment of these prophecies did historically take place in the person of Christ, not only did all prophecies cease in Israel, but there was discontinuing, discontinuing of the sacrifices when the true Paschal Lamb was sacrificed. Turn to pagan testimony, Tacitus, speaking for the ancient Romans, says people were generally persuaded in the faith of the ancient prophecies that the east was to prevail and that from judah was to come the master of the world of the master and ruler of the world satanius in his account for the life of vespasian recounts of the roman tradition thus it was an old and constant belief throughout the east that that by indebitably certain prophecies the Jews were to attain the highest power. China had the same expectations, but, be, but because it was on the other side of the world, it believed that the great wise man would be born in the West. The annals of celestial empire contain this statement. In the 24th year of To Wang, by the dynasty of the uh, Tigyo, on the eighth day of the fourth moon, a light appeared in the southwest, which illuminated the king's palace. The monarch, struck by its splendor, interrogated the sages. They showed him books in which this prodigy signified the appearance of the great saint of the West, whose religion was to be int introduced into this country. The Greeks expected him for Ascalius and his Prometheus uh, six centuries before him, before his coming, wrote, Look not for any end, moreover, to this curse until God appears to, to accept upon his head the, bang, the pangs of his own sins vicarious. How did the Magi of the East know of his coming? probably from many prophecies circulated throughout the world by the Jews, as well as through the prophecies made to the Gentiles by Daniel centuries before his birth. Cicero, after his recounting 
the sayings of the ancient oracles and the and the sibyls about a king whom we must recognize to be saved asked in expectation to what man and to what period of time do these predictions point the fourth egalog of virgil's of virgil recounts the, the same ancient tradition and spoke of a chaste woman smiling on her infant boy with whom the Iron Age would pass away. Suetonius quoted a contemporary author to the effect that the Romans were so fearful about a king who would rule the world that they ordered all children born that year to be killed, an order that was not fulfilled except by Herod. Not only were the Jews expecting the birth of, of a great king, a wise man and a savior. But Plato and Socrates also spoke of the Logos and of the universal wise man yet to come. Confucius spoke of the saint, the sibyls of a universal king, the Greek dramatist of a savior and redeemer to unloose man from the primal eldest curse. All these were on the Gentile side of expectation, what separates Christ from all men is that first he was expected, even in the Gentiles, had a longing for a deliverer or redeemer. This fact alone disting distinguishes him from all other religious leaders. A second distinguishing fact is that once he appeared, he struck history with such an, uh, with such an impact that he split it in two, dividing it into two periods, one before his coming, the other after it. Buddha did not do this, nor any of the great Indian philosophers. Even those who deny God must date their attacks upon uh, date date their attacks upon him A.D. and so and so, or so many years after his coming. A third fact separated him from all others is this. Every other person who ever came into the world came into it to live. He came into it to die. Death was a stumbling block to Socrates. It interrupted his teaching. But to Christ, death was the goal and fulfillment of his life. The goal, the goal that he was seeking. Few of his words or actions are intelligible without reference to his cross. His, he presented himself as savior rather than merely as teacher. It meant nothing to teach men to be good unless he also gave them the power to be good. After rescuing them from the frustrations of guilt, the story of human life begins with birth and ends with death. In the person of Christ, however, it was his death that was first and life that was last. The scripture describes him as the lamb slain, as it were, from the beginning of the world. He was slain in intention by the first sin and rebellion against God. It was not so much that his birth cast out a shadow on his life and thus led to his death. It was rather that the cross was first cast you know, at first and it cast its shadow back to his birth. He, he has been the only, his has been the only life in the world that was ever lived backwards. As the flower in the uh, cranial well wall tells the, po the poet of nature, as the atom is the ma uh, miniature of the solar system, so to his birth tells the mystery of the gibbet. He went from, from the known to the, uh, from the known to the known from the reason of his coming manifested by his name, Jesus, or Savior, to the fulfillment of his coming, namely his death on the cross. John gives us his eternal prehistory, Matthew his temporal prehistory, by way of his genealogy. It, it, it is significant how much his temporal ancestry was connected with sinners and, for, uh, and foreigners. Their bolts on the uh, eschatons of his human lineage suggests a pity for the sinful, for the strangers to the, co to the covenant. Both these aspects of his compassion 
would later on be hurled against him as accusations. He is a friend of sinners. He is a Samaritan. But the shadow of, of a stained past foretells his future love for the stained. Born of a woman, he was a man and would be one with all humanity. Born of a virgin, he was overshadowed by the spirit and full, uh, spirit and full of grace. He would also be outside that current of sin, which infected all men. All right, that ends that uh, chapter one. All right. So uh, let's stop here for a moment. All right, so um, now we've read that those two chapters. I th um, when I when I'm, I believe Fulton Sheen is correct, and I think we have to we have to look at it this way. You can't separate Christ from the cross. You can you cannot separate the cross from Christ. Um, and the, the communists do want the cross. They want the cross as discipline. But I think the communism of today, like I said, is not the same as the communism that was, let's say, when we had the Soviet Union. Even the one, the communism of China is not really, they, it, it, it's, all, it's authoritarianism, really. It's all, a, it's all authoritarianism, it's class. They, they, they love money. Okay, the communists in China love money. Let's face it, and and the so-called communists today, it's more like an oligarchy, uh, people who want power and they want social class. That's what it is. But they're going to hide behind communism. They're going to hide behind social justice. They're going to hide behind uh, the the environment. They're going to hide behind all that stuff. They 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 need power. What we want is truth with Christ and the cross. We want love that comes from the cross. We want social justice that comes from Christ and the cross. Um, we want a world with Christ and his cross. And we want the Christ of the faith, the Christ with the scars in his hands and in his feet and his side, the Christ with the crown of thorns, all right, that's what the Christ we need. Not a Christ empty, devoid of the cross, devoid of sacrifice. Okay. Many, many, many have had a habit of taking in my Western society, they love to take all those beautiful words of Jesus and separate it from the cross. Fulton Sheen, you'll see later on in the book, will tell you, that the Mary, the same man who, who preached the Sermon on the Mountain is the same man that will have to climb that mountain with his cross and prove it. Okay? So you cannot take the words of Jesus, his actions, and make them into a philosophy without the cross, without the suffering. It's meaningless. It's the whole package, nothing but the package. Look at the book of Revelation. The lamb that appears had all the marks of the lamb who was on the cross. The man, the, the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. He had, he had the stigma on him, the stigmata. He had, he, he, he's the same Jesus with the marks. When Christ appeared, he had the marks on his hands and his feet. The problem is, is that they don't want that because the cross, the marks, the scars signify conversion, change admission of guilt they don't like that social guilt they can accept Fulton Sheen always said they love social guilt racism prejudice misogyny uh, you know sins against the environment all these things you know uh, you know all those things those are social social crimes but not personal sins personal sins they cannot accept personal sins means admission of uh, uh, conversion of the heart it just, these things they cannot accept. These are people with disordered minds. Uh, St. Augustine said that God will, surround, will surrender you to a disordered mind, meaning you will be suffering from psychological guilt because you know that you, you, know, you don't want to admit your own sins. That's a problem. 
And these are things that need that need some addressing. We need we need to seriously address these problems. We need to seriously address what's happening. But they don't want to do that. It's about sin. It's about sin. I've always mentioned it. Think if you have whatever little private wretched sins you have, picture you looking at you. Picture yourself. And then picture how would others, you think if others knew you did those particular sins in private, what, how do you want others to see you? Then think about how God sees you. Think about it. Do you want to be remembered that, that way? That's the problem with people who don't want to admit personal sins. They don't want to admit guilt. You don't want to admit how you look before in the eyes of God. How do you want to be remembered in all eternity? You know, it's a problem. You know, there's, there, there, we have a serious problem and we have to address it. There is no Christ without the cross and there is no cross without the Christ. Okay? Stop and think about it. We have to think about it. We have to seriously. Let's stop it, you know, inventing a Jesus. I think that was the biggest problem, I think, with why you have people keep talking about you can't have Jesus on the cross because he resurrected. No, no, absolutely not. Okay, yes, he resurrected. He, of course, he resurrected from the dead. But remember, he showed you his hands and his feet. He showed that to the apostles. It's me. Touch me. Feel me. Here are the marks of the cross. Yes, he resurrected. Of course he resurrected. Okay? Of course he resurrected. But he is the Christ who is forever crucified. He has the marks on his hands and his feet. So therefore... The cross stands as it. we have to admit our guilt. We have to admit it. The problem, he forgives us. It's us that has to do the, the, the confessing. And we also, have, we need to continue because, you know, it's a psychological thing. You looking at the cross, what, is it admission of guilt? Is it admission of sin? And it's always a constant conversion for the rest of your life. You have to constantly be converting. It's not once saved, always saved. And you can commit any more sins. That's what, that's what Martin Luther wanted. I can commit as many sins as I can and I won't go to hell. That is a lot of baloney, a lot of crap. Men always need conversion. Human beings always need conversion. Okay? Always need conversion. No Christ on the cross, separating Christ from the cross. And I'm not just talking about the artistic image, the icon image. It's the image of Christ in your heart. Every one of us has to stand at the foot of the cross. We have to stand at the foot of the cross and admit our guilt and admit the fact that we have sins we struggle with. All right, some people are stubborn. Some people are stubborn. We know that. All right, Joe Biden calling himself a Christian, calling himself a Roman Catholic and believing in abortion and thinking that the policy is separate from the personal guilt is wrong. Him opening the pathway for others to commit that sin, to commit the act of murder, he thinks it separates him. He thinks it's social justice. He thinks it's, you know, it's, it's cutting back on poverty. He thinks, you know, it's just the policy, but if you do it, it's not my fault. Yes, it's your fault. You, oh, you made it possible. I'll give you an example. Um, someone wants to get married and the person they're going to get married to is outside the Christian faith. 
the individual who got married is is Christian, a Catholic. Let's just say it's Catholic. Now, someone in the family goes out and gets, you know you can't get a priest because a priest won't, won't do it. And because also your so-called spouse, one of them will not, will not raise the child Catholic, refuses to. Let's say the other individual is Muslim. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll use this as an example. Someone goes out of the family and finds a minister from the outside. The minister of the outside would, would, would gladly marry them. They get married, let's say, at a, either city hall or at home. Now, the person who did the go-between is a practicing Catholic, a serious Catholic. Did the person in the middle commit an act of sin? Let's say, who arranged everything? The answer is yes. He helped a fellow Christian depart from the faith, depart from the sacraments. Be it the, the, the bride, let's say, who's not, who's, who is a, um, a Christian. She goes, you know, um, for some reason, agrees to it, wants to get married. Now, the problem is there is that the person in the middle thinks he didn't commit a sin. The one who arranged everything. Yes, you did. You helped someone depart from Christ. You helped someone depart from the sacraments. You helped a person depart from, 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 from the faith. You participated and you contributed. It doesn't mean because you think that I didn't commit the sin. Yes, you did. Biden is, is that person. He, he thinks he is excluded. He's not excluded. The policies he support is same thing with Nancy Pelosi. Okay? The same thing with John Kerry. These people claim that they're practicing Catholics and they're helping they're helping others, millions and millions of men women commit an act of sin by these policies you legalized. Going to confession before you die is not going to save you. All right. When in their minds, they have a Christ without scars. They want a forgiving Christ without the cross. They want social. They, no, they, they feel that they're fighting social ills. And so therefore, it's apart from their personal sins. No, you it is personal. You, you made it personal for others. You help others to be condemned. And so therefore you have condemned souls. You also, you also participated in the murder of millions of unborn people. And you also helped millions of women and families carry, you know, carry guilt. You helped commit murder on a broad scale. It's not going to excuse you. It's not going to pardon you. you. You know, you didn't, you know, whoever gave you this, they gave you a false Jesus. You created, you created a false Jesus in your own mind. Also with the gay marriage, same-sex marriage, you created a false Christ. This is what they did. And they, in their minds, they don't see it. They have a Jesus that is completely false of their own making. It's not the biblical Christ. It's not the Christ who established the Catholic Church. You know, regardless what James Martin says, this is not Jesus he preaches. He does not believe in the same Jesus of the Catholic Church. Regardless what bishops, regardless, let's say, even Pope Francis in his own thinking, regardless uh, whatever, even our, 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 you know, Bishop Barron, all the others, they have not accepted the Christ of the Bible or the Christ of the Catholic Church. In every Catholic Church, there is a Christ on the cross. All right? And that Christ on the cross is the same Christ who resurrected from the tomb with the scars. He is there to forgive sins, but you must confess your, per you must confess your sins to admit to it. All right, you have to admit you have lost your way. You cannot create, you cannot separate Jesus from the cross or Jesus from his scars, period. Simple as that. You have to accept it. 
All right, we'll end it here and I'll come back again. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry if I <laughs> went off, but it it's important. We have to accept Jesus. I mean, there is no healing. There's no healing if we don't admit our sins. We have to admit them. We have to admit them. We have to stop trying to make Jesus into a philosopher, make the gospel into a philosophy, make the, you know, and, 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 and I mean, this whole stuff about divisiveness, <laughs> you gotta stop it. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. All right. God bless and be well.